Welcome everyone to the Deep Dive, the podcast that skips small talk and goes straight for the concepts that shape our thinking and behavior. In this podcast, cold expertise is defenestrated as warm philosophy is enthroned in an attempt to explore the field in which we're all scientists looking for answers, living well. Hello, world. Welcome to another episode of The Deep Dive with Eyal Shai. Today, my guest is Hamish Robertson. Hi, Hamish. Hi, how are you doing? I'm great. Thanks for coming on. Um, what is an idea that has helped you live well? I believe in communities. So I believe that me being a member of different communities of different kinds at different points in my life has been hugely beneficial to me. And I think that the same would be true of everybody, literally everybody on earth at almost any age, you know, once they're able to interact with a community. And I think that people have, a lot of people have unfortunately lost that simple view. And I mean, I could, because I also include a really broad um, vision of community and what counts as a community. Right. Yeah. So I'm, I'm interested in that from, from the little bit I know about your uh, thoughts about it. Uh, I know that it has to do with, uh, with a broader definition of community and with the opportunities that are afforded by uh, today's technology and globalization. So I'm wondering, uh, first of all, um, how you kind of came to this idea at all in the first place? Well, that's, that's a great question. What's the origin story of this line of my thinking? I, I'm a very social person. And so I've always been doing things with other people as a primary driver. And I recognize that that's not everyone's natural instinct. And I've realized when I was thinking about, you know, what makes me happy and what makes me enjoy life was that a variety of social activities with a variety of different um, people was, was really important. And what happened was I've, I've got a hobby, which is watch collecting. And I uh, moved to London and expanded that hobby. And I started going to events with members of the watch collecting community. And I didn't enjoy these events that much, even though I was a watch collector. And I started to think about why that was um, as a social person and, you know, really interested and excited. And it led to me making my own, forming my own community of watch collectors. And as a result, I've been doing a lot of thinking about what makes for a good community and what attracts people to community in the modern age. Um, because I think a lot of people are unfortunately scared off of the effort of joining a new community. And that's, that's really, really important to understand why that happens and how to overcome it. And then separate to that, you've got like aspects about community retention and and how you make the community successfully grow but but what really has driven me is saying well this is a area in, in this case very specific and, and relatively small number of people who really like watch collecting but the traditional ways they've been doing it aren't really suited for me and the modern world and the exciting opportunity is to bring a lot of aspects as you said about technology and and thinking about things on a 
global basis rather than a local basis to take that community forward in a new way and build in, uh, a much bigger community, hopefully as a result, all focused in this case around watch collecting. But it, it's more just saying, well, thinking about in general so much to try and make this successful, you know, what aspects can we bring in from other communities, older communities, traditional communities into these new areas using new technologies to make it successful. And that's, that's actually been really fun and enhanced my vision of all of the communities I'm a member of <laughs> as a result. Right. Yeah. I mean, when you say community, obviously, I think that the image that comes up is something that's kind of hardwired into our DNA. It's a, a, a community where people are close by physically, right? Something like a tribe and uh, the people that are out there hunting with you, cooking with you, kind of going uh, with their day-to-day -day lives all together. And it, it sounds like you're maybe thinking about something that's more uh, layered than that. And I feel that in my own personal life, because I live in a community and it is the community that I live in physically, but for, for different reasons, I didn't feel like I completely belong in it. Right. And so when I have a piece of technology like Twitter or email or anything like that, then I'm able to actually find a niche that's separate and um, answer answer that uh, need of mine for, you know, for you, it might be watch collecting. For me, it would be something else. Um, so I, I think that's kind of uh, what you mean when you say community in a, in a broader sense. Is that correct? Yes, that's right. So it's the other thing that really um, catalyzed thinking about it this way was the pandemic and the associated lockdowns. So I live in central London and I live alone. And so when we went into lockdown in March 2020, I, a very social person, was cast out from my office and I was prevented from uh, seeing my friends and family other than digitally. Uh, and I has historically have not been a particularly online person, as most people would understand it. Um, I've not been, you know, gamer or a Twitter person or a Reddit person or, or built, been part of any other online communities. But, but like many people, the pandemic forced my hand. And I realized that a lot of people today have lost the traditional communities. And again, it's not a great insight. This has been talked about by commentators and anthropologists and sociologists for decades now. Um, but I'd lost in the pandemic, I lost my, all my day-to-day -day contact by and large, you know, other than, you know, going for a walk with someone once a week. So I lost my informal social communities like my off office mates and my, you know, people just hanging out with. Um, and that, that really made me realize the, the issue with losing it. And it made me, as many people did in the pandemic, you know, lean in further to online communities. And I discovered, um, more online communities that I was happy to become a member of, such as the Interintellect. But it's really made me think, well, in the modern world, we have a lot of people who don't know any of their neighbors and they don't live anywhere near their families, um, or they maybe don't have any family members left, um, and so on and so on. And yet we haven't made it easy for those people to understand 
how many communities are out there that they could join of different types. And mm. a lot of people's thinking is still very traditional. So, oh, well, that person could just find a group that does the hobby they like. And you're like, well, they could, but that depends on what the hobby is and where they live. Um, and there actually needs to be a lot more of bringing that digitally online with the new tools so that we can make it bigger um, and more accessible for all, no matter where they live, for example. Or And then the next step is, which is a big step in the domain I chose, um, so just for people who don't know, watch, watch collecting is exactly what you think it is. People buy watches that they like to wear and talk about, and they can be old watches, new watches, but because a watch is a technical product, there's often a lot of terminology involved. And the terminology is a barrier. So mm. if you don't know much about watches and you want to get involved, you're often very intimidated by the terminology. So that community needs to, uh, has an obligation to help new members understand the terminology. Um, and that's true of a lot of communities. <laughs> and again, the traditional communities that are so famous didn't matter so much. So if you, if you move to a neighborhood and someone comes around and gives you a welcoming gift and tells you where the things that you need in that neighborhood are and when the next neighborhood social event is, you're kind of done. The only other piece of membership is being polite when you start meeting everyone, right? Mm -hmm. and, and behaving to the norms of that community. When we're talking about interest communities and especially with those communities using or talking about modern technology, there's another barrier. Um, and so that thinking was also catalyzed in this time where we were online and I was finding new communities and I was thinking about how hard it is to join sometimes, you know, um, because the norms are a little bit unclear and the ter ter terminology is different. The accessibility isn't there. So to summarize that, it's the, the opportunity for far more different types of new community now exists and far more people need them, but there are still huge barriers for those people finding and joining those communities. And that, those two problems are really fascinating. And those two problems are what is driving my efforts in my business. And I then believe that if we can, if different organizations and businesses can solve those problems, then everybody will be much better off. Yeah, I think, I think that is, uh, that's exactly right. I mean, from my personal experience, just in May, I was with two uh, good friends who have now been returning guests on the podcast, uh, Nikolaus and Gibran, and we met in Austria, and I was telling people here, hey, you know, I'm going to meet two friends that I met on Twitter in Austria, and everybody was just, <laughs> you know, very, very surprised yeah. to hear this, right? It's, it's still like, as... As somebody who spends time online like it's not weird for me anymore and but then i kind of go and talk about any of the stuff that i'm doing online and i'm met with just people completely not understanding not not a podcast not having friends that are not here whatever um so i i definitely see that there are a lot of people who have not heard of the possibility and in my mind, I think I keep thinking it's like you don't know what you're missing out on, right? Basically, because there are people out there, just like you say, that are interested in the same things that you do, and you don't have to just scroll through Instagram and see uh, like the stars of the show on there displaying whatever they're doing. But 
you can interact with people that are just as passionate as you and learn those techniques and create the things that you see online. Uh, so there's definitely, I agree with you that there's definitely um, a crowd who would who would benefit from uh, from doing that. So uh, yeah, I'm interested. Like, what what are some of your thoughts about this? Uh, that you, uh, what are some of your thoughts about how to go on solving these things? Um, well, I'm mostly focusing on how to design the community that I want to build. So the first thing I did is I called it a club and that's quite controversial. Um, and we'll, we'll prove an interesting experiment, right? In the first five years of this venture. Um, because club has a lot of connotations with it. Mm -hmm. um, and those connotations are different depending on where you are in the world. But the reason I said that is because I wanted it to be clear that this was something with a degree of permanence and um, also that it would have resources that you can use, right? So that's, that's kind of what I see a club as being. So I've tried from the start to tell people very clearly what we are um, and imply a sense of permanence. So as we grow, not only do we intend to keep growing, but, you know, a club should be around for, for as long as it can be. As long as it has members who want to join, a club would, would survive, right? Irrespective of whether it's a for-profit or non-profit organization. So, so from the start, I was trying to think, well, what tells everybody that this community is uh, open? And then some people associate club with being exclusive. <laughs> so um, and many clubs are exclusive, and that's fine because um, there's nothing wrong with having exclusive clubs. So we have to make sure that all of our messaging is about um, accessibility and welcoming and openness and friendliness. Um, and that's sort of on us as a community to make sure we do that both in the branding and the marketing, but also then when we have people that they have the same approach. So then that's us on to set the right vibe. And then when we come to it, have certain practices um, that we help, help um, do that, um, especially in person. So in designing the in-person events, you have to think about, um, it's not enough to just think about, well, we've got this place, it's kind of nice, we'll all just go there. It's, is it welcoming to both regulars and new people? Is it is the place speaking to the accessibility of this idea? Um, and so it's taking those ex that extra time to think about those details. That's what I've been focusing on mainly. Um, and then in the, in the, the I'll stop there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I, I realized that, you know, maybe chronologically it should have been uh, done in, in reverse order, but I'm also interested in in your going into the uh, watch collection uh, niche. Like, how did you come across it and what would be the old way of kind of going into into a field like that and learning the jargon and other things that you say are quite um, quite sometimes hard to to get like how do you start out in normal fashion before you find uh, a more a better designed community like the one you started yeah so historically the watch community has been driven by its most passionate members who for one of a bit better word have mostly been the most nerdy members mm -hmm. um, it's a very male community as in 
probably 95% plus male community. And it won't surprise any listener to know that when I describe male watch collectors as nerdy, they can be details focused, often focused on the technology rather than the aesthetics, focused on completing sets and squirreling out historical information so that Mm. um, they can demonstrate their, their knowledge about a sector. And all that leads to behaviors that can be a bit off-putting. So famously, the word is gatekeeping, um, where people, you know, uh, intimidate newcomers with their knowledge and say that newcomers are wrong. They can um, have very strong opinions on the things that they like uh, that often come across as implying that the things someone else likes are are worse. And so these common behaviors um, are, are what I saw as the problem. And the technological formats that were being used, so a lot of blogs and a lot of um, old-fashioned internet forums with very old-fashioned platforms and technology, um, also, as we know in many domains, facilitate that to some extent because um, you know you have to get up to a certain number of posts before you can do certain things, or uh, moderators have been um, the same moderators for, in some cases, 20 years or more. Um, you have to know where to post the right thing. And if you post the wrong thing in the right wrong place, you get um, scolded for it. Um, and that is is basically inaccessible. It, it, it really prevents the flourishing of that community. But for the people who are in the community and used to it, it's fine. I mean, the, 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 they maintain that community. And the other aspect of the watch industry that's very interesting is the the role of the brands versus the media versus the independent, what we call now content creators, but we're just bloggers for 20 years in in the watch industry. And the problem is the brands historically are quite secretive about information and they keep information close to their chests. Hmm. And that comes from a culture of, of Swiss way of doing things, Japanese way of doing things. Um, and it comes from various marketing choices uh, and norms. And then you have the watch media that really need the brands. So the watch media historically has always been very close to the brands and therefore um, is often perceived as being very PR based as a whole. Um, and that again, it's not unusual. It's common for many industries, but if the media is only saying what the brands really allow them to say, then is it, how helpful can it be over time to watch lovers? And then finally, you have the bloggers who did a good job, as bloggers always do, of writing new stuff, but it's fragmented. And bloggers, like everyone, stay in their niche. They write about what they're most interested in. So you might have a blogger who has the most amazing page and website on one brand, but doesn't tie any of that to anything else in particular right. or in an easy, easy to read way. So all of that is what exists. And it's it's literally someone setting out has to wander in that that desert between the oases of information. Mm. And yeah. That's a problem in my mind. Right. I mean as as soon as you describe it like that, it's it's to me I don't see uh I, I definitely get it that there's a, a very, you know, a niche within a niche of the people who then become the gatekeepers who kind of um uh, almost make sure that 
you know, the, the, the community is going to be very much how they like it to be. And they, are, I mean, for lack of a better term, they, they don't sound like normal people, like in the sense of normal people. And it doesn't seem that um, the overall focus is on engagement of, of, of people, right? It's more, it, it seems like uh, they do whatever they do. And I kind of know this because I'm a, I'm a plant freak or nerd or whatever you want to call it. But I know that there's a certain aspect to collecting details about things and having excellent memory where at least, at least when I was younger, made me feel safe in the world mm -hmm. in a sense, you know, because you go to this, the world could could be quite a scary place and and messy and chaotic and if you have this one niche where everything is like neatly organized in your mind right gives you a sense of safety in some sense and that seems to be the focus of the old community as you describe it and there's not so much focus on actually interacting with like-minded people who like the same things and there's no sense that a connection made at the at the collectors club is going to um, be carried forward into a more interpersonal connection mm -hmm. that actually helps people thrive. Right. I mean, that's, that's what I'm getting from, from your description. So if we're to tie it back to living well and the idea that people are going to flourish, if they join communities, is that what you envision making the, um, the clubs less exclusive, not only in terms of rules, of engagement but also um in in actually having the um ulterior let's say aim of really connecting people on a personal level that goes beyond the 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 theme or the um yeah watches in in your case but other things in other cases yes very much so so again this comes from a few different strands the first being you know, again, a traditional club often might have a physical location to partake in that activity of interest. And then you would, you know, have a drink there and meet people and over time make friends, you know, like a golf club, a tennis club, a bridge club, uh, you know, a car club. Those, those are all really normal things to do. Um, and I think you're absolutely right. So when these tools develop for watch collectors, a lot of people have spent a lot of time in that community because they feel those people are their people. They have a shared interest and shared passion. And unfortunately, the, the, it's often the technology that prevents that becoming more. Um, now, I do know lots of watch collectors have become great friends through interacting online. You know, as, as we've said earlier, both of us have found joy and um, friendship interacting online in other communities. And it's just bringing that for me, it's bringing that all together. So it's saying, OK, well, if we can make it slightly better kind of online community, tie it in with offline events, um, all focused around, in this case, the, the items we, we love, the watches, and make sure the, the vibes are right and very welcoming, then it, we know from lots of examples over time, it should happen over time. And then we can enhance it with some other things that really help communities work and encourage um, the making, building of friendships and the relying on other people. And the advantage um, to really come out from that will be shared knowledge. So this will end up being a shared knowledge community as well as a shared passion community, which is slightly mm -hmm. different to some. 
Um, and it is very important to me as this final thing, which goes back to what I started out with, is that if we can make, if I can make this a success, then I've created a new thing that people who hear about can consider and then try it out. And if they like it, they've added a community to their life that they can then partake in as much or as little as they like. And my job as the owner of the community is to make it as easy as possible for them to make that choice. Easy as possible for them to find us, understand what we do, then join in. And then when they're, oh, I like these, these guys. I, I like talking about watches. If they want to do it every week, every month, three times a year, if they want to do it in person or online, I help them all from the same community. And today's technology is what allows me to do that. You know, I don't just have to say, okay, well, if you want to be in my club, you have to come on the third Wednesday of every month to this one location. Mm -hmm. um, my, my community can, can be open as a default to the whole world if we make sure that we have an online presence and we encourage the growth of that um, at the same time. And therefore, yes, it can get a lot bigger in the long run, but also we just have that range of options for the same community that you've only you as the, the newcomer only has to buy into it once and then you have more options which is different and it's what's so exciting about future communities of all kinds have that option now you know the the video events are so good you can create a great event where people feel you know they've had a really great time but they could be in all the different parts of the world and, and all different um types of background and all different like levels of wealth, right? Because the internet is such an equalizer. And so I'm very, very excited about that, both for my own community and all the other ones <laughs> that are growing. Yeah, it's it's um, it's almost, when I hear about the, the way that communities traditionally tended to be, it does seem to be that it, it was it was very d divisive in the in the sense that you know either you had a very <laughs> a very very high level of curiosity that's going to make you stick uh, with that nerdiness that's going to make you stick to the thing and really you know go day in and day out and learn about this thing because you know we need to meet that uh, criterion uh, to feel a, a belonging and then on the other on the other side there are people who are just not interested. So they might even know about the community. They have no intention of learning anything. They know what this community is like. So immediately they give up and they don't want to even start uh, learning. And it sounds like you're looking at a lot of people who are uh, curious about the thing, who might want to um, dabble in something. And you want to be coming with open arms to them and see that it's okay to go as as deep as you want to go into a subject and you don't have to go and then you don't have to go as deep as some of the of the um, more traditional folk and then f from there like you might even hit some sort of a of a of a cap for your interest in that thing and that's normal and that's accepted because you're now kind of moving into a stage where you have friends from that uh from that community and because you're not the type of person who's going to really focus on one thing you know that may be a good time to check another community that is designed in the in the same 
in the same way because you kind of know how it works and you're going to meet uh, different people there. That's a, mm -hmm. Yes, and there's another aspect though. So there's an exploration aspect. So my community is, is designed to help people explore the areas of the watch world that they didn't know much about. Mm. So we're, we're hoping to help people who like one thing a lot, you know, have reached a certain level of knowledge with that passion and say, oh, well, that's great. And, and we're, we're really interested in hearing what you have to say. And we also think you might be interested in this. And that's where the knowledge community comes from and where the opportunity set is slightly new. So if we think about historic communities, then of this, of, if we're talking about passion, communities of passion, um, then you would, you would deliver the same experience. You would deliver a local experience and that was limited to the people who turned up locally and the resources that, that accrued to that location. <clears throat> and to have a, a, the same experience in a different way, you have to go somewhere and then find the people mm. there. So um, if you're talking about a golf club, pretty straightforward how you do yeah. that. If you're talking about a car club, slightly, but less so. And if you're talking about a, a, a book club, then, you know, again, where, where, where are the like benefits coming and how hard is it to access a similar community elsewhere today? We can say, okay, well, you're a, a person interested in X and, um, but you should come along because we don't, we don't really have a, we don't have anyone. Um, I don't think we've got anyone who's interested in that, but come along and tell us about it and, and get interest, have your, have your interest validated. So a, a, an important word is validation in community. Mm. When someone joins a community, they have to have their interest validated. And that's not the same as just being welcome. The welcome has to validate their interest, right? And so, um, you know, the community provides the resource, it helps them out, it welcomes them, and they feel that their interest is validated and then they, they're happy to come back. And when you think globally, uh, which we can now, uh, you want to say, you want you want you quickly realize how much better it can be. So, so someone comes along and they have their particular passion and then they get involved and it turns out their passion is really deep. And then you say, well, oh, that's amazing. We're happy to learn from you about that area. And by the way, did you know about this? And they're like, oh, I didn't know about this. Um, and then it's sort of, everyone gets, gets connected. And before you know it, two people who have completely different starting interests find a shared interest become friends or follow that shared interest together and it, it all sounds a bit trite but the difference in ability now when you think about it globally and bringing the right kinds of technology to bear can transform many types of community and indeed build huge new types of community over something as prosaic as a as a, an object like a watch um and that that again is also really exciting so so it's what happens after you've got this going can be much different to how historically communities were limited for people and the communities themselves can again become hopefully much richer and much more in uh they should be much more alive right and um yeah and, and then that that will bring a variety of benefits to the members and the members can then choose which benefits they they want depending on what they're into Right. Yeah, I completely agree with me. I noticed that, uh, I mean, thankfully, I was born a curious person. And I noticed about myself that 
I can meet somebody with a very, very niche interest. And I noticed that it's, it's really the way that it makes them feel that makes me engage because I don't know anything about the thing, but any person that I meet that um, their eyes kind of light up as they talk about this thing they're very passionate on, I immediately want to hear more about. And it's usually not a thing that I thought I was interested in at all, but at the, as, as they're telling you about it, their eyes light up and it's just a great feeling of, of connection there to the point where um, you sometimes, uh, just as you say, you become interested in the thing because you realize you can share that thing, reciprocate that feeling with that person. And um, you can both go, go deeper into that uh, subject or later on find even something different to explore together, just as you say. So um, is that, I wonder, how do you, how do you make that explicit to people? Or how do you, how do you showcase that kind of beautiful process that they might go through in a community like that? Well, it, it's all a work in progress in my community, um, as we are still pretty small and um, growing steadily. And I'm I'm designing the events that make it happen. Um, but what I've been thinking about a lot is borrowing from other communities. <laughs> so there's a lot of things we know work uh, in terms of making feel, people feel comfortable. And then there's a lot of, you know, psychological psychology uh, work that's been done over the last 60 years that you can learn about, talk about. But if we think about the community and how you, how you make people comfortable quickly, it is about a host. So you need a host, right? Which obviously is me um, all the time at the moment. But when we move on to have other hosts, we'll have to train those hosts, you know, to say, okay, well, here's, here's the simple things that we've learned that work, right? And again, if we mm -hmm. think about other communities, um, that's that's pretty common, right? The, the, they're either called a leader or seen as a leader, or they're they're a host or both. Um, so, so then there's the design of the event, which we can leave to, to one side. But when it comes to then helping people share, it's um, again, it's about modeling that that's the behavior we want in our community. So it's making it normal at our events to get people to ask each other questions about the watch and it's helping them see what those questions might be because one of the things that people find very intimidating about going joining a new community is they're scared to ask questions and they don't know what questions they should be asking even that they're, they're so mm. new that they don't even know what yeah. questions to ask that's a very common right amongst people of all kinds doesn't matter how smart you are you could join a new community and be standing or sitting there and genuinely won't really know what even to ask someone. Um, uh -huh. It's not to do with, it's not nothing to do with intelligence or knowledge. It's to do with just how um, it is when you join a new community that you're unsure about. And so we have to, so what we, we, we do um, as hosts, and we'll then train new hosts to do as well, is make sure that groups of people who are there are asking each other, find easy ways to ask each other questions. In this case, about watchers, but you know, the same is true of, of almost 
any other communities, help people ask easy questions, help people respond to questions. And then the, the reason this is the great route is because uh, everyone likes to be asked, you know, a question about what they like, and, and then they respond and, and they're going to say something that they like. <laughs> you know, you, you don't go around saying questions, you don't, you don't use any negative questions. Right? <laughs> right. It's like, like one of the things I've got is all, all negatives are banned from our language, right? Everything we write, there's no, there's no negatives, right? So I've used, used two, no negatives, no negatives. But, but if everything is positive as a culture of the organization, if everybody, everything, every question you ask is a positive, not a negative question, then it, it is much more effective over time. Um, and then, uh, yeah, the, that's it really it's about helping people connect in the most obvious manner because the most obvious manner is the most accessible manner it's not you don't need to to have tiers of expertise you know that with with people crowned as expert in this and so the only person who should be asked about that is expert over there that is what happens to communities that often are des aren't designed and are organic and and that because that is very human that's what happens we gravitate towards people perceived people who have high status so setting mm -hmm. the community norms to avoid that is um the way to keep the community more accessible if you want a different kind of community it's okay you can have that kind of community um but we want to focus on accessibility and, and growth and well being welcoming so we have to make sure the norms we set include that sort of thing is making sure that it is all about people talking to each other on a level basis from from the start making that as a norm yeah and do you think that the that the people you described at the beginning in the more traditional um clubs in your experience would they then steer away from this new form of community because it doesn't live up to their standards or are they also integrated and in a way uh benefited and uh are, do they change their kind of behavior or tendencies in order to fit in do they see the benefit in a community being more inclusive or is there still uh, an exclusive watch club in addition to yours uh it's too early to tell mm -hmm. i think if we i think it's my gut tells me it's one of those things I'm just going to find out. Um, because you could easily get hijacked, you know, by people with that sort of motivation who want to join our mm -hmm. community and in effect set themselves up as, as an expert on XYZ. Um, so hopefully we'll set a culture that discourages that. Um, but we, we don't really know. We haven't got big enough or, or noticed enough to have anyone um, behave poorly and um, but I haven't been targeting the people who already have their existing communities so that's the other thing right. I'm not going to the existing watch collecting meetups and promoting my own business at their their, yeah. their event you know so um, not only would be that that rude but it would be probably you know unsuccessful so so but I'm still attending um, and I, I think and we've had a few people come right so but I just think that the opportunity is so much bigger. My my thing I want to concentrate on is how many people it's never occurred to to join mm -hmm. an organization like mine, and that's that's what I want to you know get over to you and and the listeners is that this is not about can there be a watch club and can there be a 
club for all these other things. This is can this type of, of organization that collects um, a group of people around a shared interest in in the offline world, can those organizations also join in really easily with, with the online world? And as a result, how many more people can be given the opportunity to join these organizations? Well, the answer is, you know, my, well, my belief is just, it's just huge and the benefits should be huge. Yeah, I can imagine uh, some sort of uh, online directory for this, right? That we currently maybe don't have, I don't think, like you say, um, people who are who are online, they may stumble on a community like that and just naturally be be funneled into it and be getting to know the the um, the rules and or conventions. You know, if it's not formal rules and so on, but there are always conventions. But it sounds like it would be very good to actually have a, a directory of, of, uh, of these interests, right? That people can, can mm. join and maybe uh, they can, they, they know that in some sense, these different communities are all going to benefit them, but then out of the list of the things that, that make up the, the focus of that community, they'll be able to to choose and and just go into that um, community, right? And I haven't seen a, a directory like that at all. Yeah. So so this comes to the um, the original and permanent search problem, mm -hmm. right? So so Google identified well, not Google. <laughs> Google just happened to solve the internet search problem the best and ended up with ninety seven percent share. Right. Google hasn't Google hasn't solved the problem. Google solved the problem for a certain type of asset, which was websites. Hmm. And then Google added a monetization model on that's made it get worse every day. So every day that goes by, Google gets worse because its incentives are, are, are basically now delivering search results to the, the advertiser that paid the most in every conceivable category. Mm. which is not optimal for the searcher in any way. So the, the, um, the, the, um, the question of how these communities are found is, is kind of a very, it's not specific to communities. It's, it's, it's specific to all activities that aren't easily, um, you know, advertised against. Oh, right. And then you, and then you add, uh, sort of the, the media problem. So communities compete with media for attention for, for time, right? Um, so the really fascinating thing to me is how do I make sure that my the value of interaction is um, higher than the value of broadcast media? And this is where it comes back to human flourishing. Because almost everybody would agree uh, that passively, you know, consuming media, even if it's about their deep interests and it's really well done, you know, I, I would hope that most people would see the benefits of stepping further than that and interacting about with other people about the thing that you like most. However, I fear that a lot of people are sort of slightly brainwashed into thinking the former, that their life 
will be much easier and much less tiring if they just consume the media, whether it's even if it's in their niche and their interest and they're learning a lot about what they care about. Um, and so the challenge, I think, for communities like mine and like all these ones I see flourishing right now and will continue to flourish is how you help people understand the additional benefits of the interaction mm. and the potential to grow and learn from other people rather than just grow and learn from admittedly fantastically produced media in some cases. Yeah, I really like this point. I really appreciate it because you're right. Like even you and me talking right now, we don't look at any ads, right? So there's no incentive for anybody to connect us and say, hey, go on this one-on-one -on -one call with somebody that you might really have a great connection with, right? We're mm. so engaged in this now, in this interaction, that there's literally zero chance that I'm going to be so rude that I'm going to look at some sort of ad right now, right? Ads yeah. are, can only ads can only be inserted on your feed as you're like scrolling or doom scrolling, as people call it. Um, that's such a good point, and therefore, I guess uh, you're basically saying that this is what happens in effect. This is what gets pushed on us is the passive, uh, passive consumption stuff that makes us prone to coming across uh, ads that we are then going to click. So we're looking at nothing short of a paradigm shift that we have to, to achieve here, right? I, I'm not too pessimistic on it uh, because I think that the, the benefit, obviously the benefits of global, globally accessible um, content are just still to be seen, right? The internet's just getting started. But I'll give you an analogy, if you like, which is sports. So, and I'm watching, not playing sports. So if we think back to, you know, 50 years ago in the UK, which were in 1972, if you want to go and watch a football team, your football team play, you have to live nearby and go to the, the game when it's on. But that experience is really intense. <laughs> like, yeah, you've got a crowd, you know, you have a big team, small team, there's still a crowd, you're not on your own watching. Um, you've got a, a set series of rituals in a lot of places, you've got traditions of the venue, depending on the club and the city you're in. I went to watch uh, games in Newcastle. So I think that <laughs> is a, a prime example of you come there, you feel like an outsider. You think you're just a match, but then you realize, uh, yeah, it's basically a stadium full of people who are like the old watch collectors you were talking about. because yeah. They're singing some obscure uh, songs from hundreds of years ago, and it's hard to feel belonging for sure. Yeah, yeah. So, but it wouldn't have taken you very long to join that community if you'd become a regular and then you'd feel one of them. And, and yeah. so the match day experience is very, very powerful. So then modern media came along and turned football, soccer into a global, mostly, obviously 99.999% of soccer is, is viewed on television with its own set of rituals and norms. Uh, and it's a very, very different experience to watch a football game on your own on the television. Um, and the product has changed slightly because of it, but not too much. Um, and the industry is now super incentivized to finding the next television viewer. It's not at all incentivized to finding the next person to buy the ticket. The whole industry mm. has changed 
So the next person buying the ticket is on a waiting list already, right? For the big clubs and for the small mm -hmm. clubs, there's just not a big market in their town, right? So they have to kind of accept the business model, the, the number of fans who can come is capped unless they want to take the route up to mega riches, in which case, you know, the whole club has to change. Um, so the interesting thing about that it, is the community around the game is now gone full circle. So now you can join online groups of fans to meet up in a local area to recreate an atmosphere in a bar, right? Mm -hmm. And so we're finally at the point where the community can restart, um, but you don't have to be in the place where that club is based. So I in London can go and join other fans of my football club and feel like it's a community. And I think that's absolutely extraordinary and it's a huge benefit to me because it enhances my enjoyment of that particular hobby of mine. So the, 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 the thing about um, new kinds of community, like uh, you know, a watch club or, or a, like the inter-intellect where you're bringing people together with a shared interest and then you're going to use new technology to bring people from all over. And then you, by mixing the online and offline, you can hopefully show people that it's much better than just consuming again, right? So, so it's, it's, you could just passively consume, um, you know, stuff about watches or in, or in, in the topics into intellect covers, but doing it with the other people is much enhanced. Yeah, it's, you know, it brings to my mind something which is doesn't really have to do with online technology, but I feel it's it's somehow contributing to the discussion. I was just taking, uh, being a tour guide, I just worked with uh, one traveler last week and just taking him everywhere. And of course, uh, talking about the Jewish temple that was destroyed in the Great Revolt against the Romans in 70 AD. Um, and it was a very interesting experiment in community uh, because before then Jews had synagogues in their villages away from Jerusalem uh, but still three times a year on three uh, certain holidays they had to go up to the centralized Jewish temple and pay for a sacrifice and do all all these sorts of things and this was at some point monetized by the elite by the people who run the place basically the the priest um cast and that caused a lot of uproar as we can see in the story of of jesus christ kind of going up there and becoming really angry with the money changers and so on um so and of course the 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 the, the demonym jews comes from the fact that their temple was in the territory of the tribe of Judah, so Judea, um, and the whole province, the Roman provi province was called Judea because it was about this one place where the temple is. But come 70 AD and the Jewish uh, people are revolting against the Romans, eventually losing, and the Romans, um, well, first of all, they ruined the temple, and then 50 years after, in a, because of another revolution, they changed the name of the city from Jerusalem to Ilia Capitolina, and they changed the name of the province from Judea to Syria, Palestine. And this caused a complete destruction of the Jewish um, 
kind of societal fabric um, and it made them have to rethink everything that they did up until then. And the Jewish leadership arrived at a very interesting uh, solution to that. So instead of having uh, priests up on the Temple Mount, now there were uh, a a migratory council going all over the the north of Israel, um, then uh, Syria-Palestine. And now they use the synagogues, which before were used to read uh, the Torah, the holy book, but not practice anything of real religious significance. Now they decide and decreed the synagogues as mini temples that are basically decentralized and and uh, are all over the place. So mm-hmm. it's a very interesting instance of a religion, something very traditional, having to change is, its ways in a formal way because of some uh, extreme freak event that they suffered. And um, it doesn't have to do so much with, with technology, but I just feel there's a, a lesson in there because this is really, in effect, what made the Jewish religion so robust in the face of of even attempts at exterminating uh, everybody practicing the religion, right? Something like World War II, because now it's decentralized and any synagogue is as good as another synagogue as being the temple of the few, as they're called. Um, so it's it's sort of, uh, you can see, you can see the, uh, the relationship with, with the story you told about uh, football clubs, right? I don't know what lesson exactly could be taken from that, but Maybe you have an idea. <laughs> I, I think a lot about lessons for community from religion and churches. Um, mm-hmm. I'm very open um, to looking at them as communities and le- learning lessons. And I, I, I didn't know that uh, part of the Jewish history story. So it's very interesting. Um, and I think it's, you know, the benefits of survivorship bias survive study the things that have, have survived and study how they changed to survive depending on what happened um, to those communities over time. And that, that's why the Jewish history is preserved and taught in the way it is. Clear, um, like, like they state <laughs> the reason um, yeah. Jewish history is so important is so that the community can remember the lessons for the future. Um, that's, that's very, it's like what Jewish history is famous for teaching everyone. Right. Yeah. And teaching itself. Uh, and so, um, yeah, absolutely. I, I think the, well, to that exact point, uh, in that exact story is the disassociation of community and practice from place. Mm-hmm. This concept that the temple built to glorify, I, I correct me if I'm wrong, but glorify God in effect in Jerusalem. Yeah, and um, even and even um, and even have the spirit of God in it. So it's said right. in times when the when the temple was there, um, it they they were saying the wise the wise people were saying that the spirit of God is actually in the holy of holies. So that was part of the shock, right? The temple which yeah. housed the spirit of God was completely destroyed. This is why the Western Wall today, the holiest place for Jews 
is really the western wall of just the Temple Mount, which is the ramp uh, uh, on top of which the uh, the temple was built. But people right. are in, eff uh, in effect um, transferred the holiness of the temple that it does not exist anymore into a wall that still exists. So they had to do mental gymnastics and, and mm -hmm. go to length um, to really keep keep the tradition going in some way. It's really interesting. Yeah, yeah. So, so that the um, the lesson is that 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 shift to the community being the home of the practice and the community being the home of the belief was was the lesson that lesson from that incident that the Jewish community has helped it survive ever since. Mm -hmm. And again, in my uh, opportunity for my idea and communities like mine, the importance of practice and design and repeatability without having a common place is really important. And if, if we take a, another leap to the business world, the majority of very successful businesses that grow very large have very strict brand standards and norms and repeatability to maintain their um, standards and success, right? But also so that new customers and repeat customers are comforted by the, the, the things being the same. And uh, it's true. So it's true in, in that world, but it's also true of religion. For a religion to be sustainable, things have to stay the same across place and time. And the best way to do that is to have very common, very clear um, standards of behavior and standards of practice and rituals. We'll mm. come back to rituals. Uh, the importance of ritual should not be underestimated at any conceivable, uh, <laughs> in any, any community, like any, every community of every kind has rituals that make that. Yeah, I, I, I really like it because implied in what you're saying is that the, the business model of McDonald's is basically taking something from religion, which I, I never, it's a thought I never thought before, but it does make sense. <laughs> More than they've taken it to the um, 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 uh, infinite degree. So, um, yeah, when you study business and all kinds of business and branding, you'll see exactly the same things evolved in the same way. But of course, done by very religious people. So, of course, it wasn't. Uh, you know, yeah. <laughs> you know, there's no shortage of religious people who run and, and build big businesses. So, <laughs> 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 you know. Uh, yeah, absolutely, and and it's um, yeah. I take the view that we should be learning from all of them uh, to, to work out what helps us achieve our goal. You know, and again, in terms of if the goal is make your community better, you know, does something from another thing just come in? You know, that I think it's it's everything's fair game and everything should be fair game to rule learnings out from other types of community because of the type of community they are. I find. I think that's very, very short-sighted. Yeah. No, this, this is, um, this is, uh, I love, I love your aim and where you're taking this because ultimately I definitely see more room. Um, uh, I definitely see, I wanted to say more room for spaces, but it could be more space for rooms um, for yeah, communities to grow in this day and age, because I, I do think that we're not even beginning to take 
advantage of the fact that we are so hyper-connected these days and a lot of people that don't necessarily find themselves uh, very fitting in the community where they happen to have grown up in can now uh, go to the uh, go online and find something that's fitting for them and find a community that um, that kind of satisfies their their need for curiosity and as you say validation right because they might actually be um, um, mocked or just not not validated uh, where they happen to live and it's very interesting that it is now we can afford to be part of, of different communities where the where the club the collector's club of some kind doesn't is not necessarily going to be the people we go out to the field with and cooperate with that but it can really help us go out to the field with the people we have to go out to the field with uh, in, in in better mood because you are validated if not here then then somewhere mm-hmm. else so i think it can definitely really augment our our well-being in the place where we are if we have this um and I, online I, community accessible to us it builds in um redundancy and o- the overlap of being a member of multiple communities with a minimum amount of effort allows for redundancy so if you are a person who only has your family your you know local friends and your work colleagues then if times are tough <laughs> and t- and things are a bit difficult at home and at work and your friends are t- too busy to see you, then it can be very, very difficult, right? Because you're constrained by those, um, the real impact of those communities. If you then have an online hobby that when you're busy, you can still only, you only get to check in with it half an hour a week, um, that can be a, a lifeline in some circumstances, you know? Or if we think about people who move, you know, a lot of people move and they move far away from their past communities. But by keeping an online community, they don't, it, it, it removes, you know, some of the, presumably would remove some of the angst because they know that that online community is there wherever they're going to be. Um, so, so on the downside, new kinds of community can, can provide a lot of benefit. Um, and again, it's not that it wasn't possible before. I mean, there's a million examples of where communities have, have helped people move around the world um, and they've maintained their presence in those communities from a distance. Of course there are, but it's making it easier and making it more normal that that's there for, for people. That if they're really into watchers and they leave London and they go to a city where there's no watch meetups, they can still join in online, right? And so on and so on. Yeah, and it also makes me think of of the role of certain people that maybe are not recognized as as such, but I'm going to talk about the person who is uh, basically a connector. And, you know, I don't mind putting myself in that group because I conduct a lot of one-on-ones online that are not for the podcast, of just having curiosity calls with people and seeing what uh, interests they have that intersect with mine, or don't, because just like I said, I care more about the passion that they bring with the things that interest them, that immediately I'm prompted to ask questions and learn more about it because I, I want to get the same, um, I want to, to keep them mm. 
being in that in that great mood and having that great emotion that's what makes the conversation interesting for me and I can imagine a future where instead of a Google where you just go and type there are people with just a track record of meeting a lot of different people and if you can connect with someone like that and tell them what you might be looking at they can probably tell you about people that they've met from different mm-hmm. communities or, or who um, they might think you're going to vibe with or get along with or do anything like that so i think that could be a, a pretty uh, now thinking of a business model for myself here now but um that could be a, a pretty good solution to that to know that there are people you can turn to and just because of the um kind of breadth of their uh, social interactions that they've had in the past, they might be able to to connect you with um, a- appropriate uh, people, other people. Yeah, it's slightly prosaic, but the venture capitalists, various venture capitalists have built communities precisely to do that. So because the venture capital community, as it came out of America, has such an insanely strong belief in the power of networking, as mm. the best opportunity for future ideas and um, businesses and people to run them. Um, they've used modern technology very, very well to build up joint communities of, of um, founders and operators and ideas people and all of the different kinds of people that they need. Um, and in the various of those communities, I know it, um, are connector communities. They they yeah. sit there expressly to do it. They don't they don't sit there to share ideas necessarily on on how to run a business or whatever. They they sit there as communities to connect. Um, so that that's a sort of example of somewhere that's been doing that for a good few decades offline and is now very much moving it online and accelerating the process. Good. So, yeah, thanks, because I'll definitely uh, look into that. I'm not too familiar with with that world at all. Um, Yeah, wondering if if there's another um, aspect of that that you'd like to illuminate something that we we haven't touched on, or uh, maybe you have a a way to kind of wrap this all up together and to summarize? I I think that we haven't talked much about the actual benefits to people of community. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I know some of your other podcasts you have. Um, yeah, I, I have a, a series with uh, me and Catherine Woody mm-hmm. was talking about it, um, but I'm, I'm more than willing to, um, uh, to, to mention it here. If you have, if you have, um, yeah, your own perspective on this, you're more than welcome to share it. Well, I think what I will, I'd like to add to that discussion is that the recognition that it's okay to have different communities and that communities can can be in someone's life at extremely different depths. And I think about it as kind of layers. Um, mm-hmm. and, and so, as I mentioned, you know, to me, I've managed to turn many aspects of my life into communities because I'm a very social person. But for people who are less social and find that quite difficult as a natural thing to do, it's still possible to be a member of a community and only spend 
10 minutes a week partaking and while also giving all of your attention to your you know a different community like your family or your your near-term friends or your work community and i really want people to appreciate that more that there's no minimum viable effort to put into a community depending on the community you know like if you want to be a golfer you kind of have to go and play the golf um <laughs> i mean not necessarily but you'd think you would in the end have to commit the time to play in the golf but um the yes many, you could I mean, be a caddy a caddy forever yeah that's still a very time consuming activity it's kind of yes. what i'm pointing out there so there's a slight some communities have minimum time commitments but many communities have have very low minimal effort commitments and i think that that is unfortunately people psych themselves out of of searching for for new communities because of that Hmm. Um, and I'm hoping that the new communities that are coming about thanks to technology and being more online, um, really helps with that, that people actually come to see that they have multiple communities in their life, that if they're only partaking a minuscule amount in one community for a year, two years, that when they suddenly have the time, when their priorities change, then they can can move deeper into that community and the communities will be able to easily cope and and the benefits of that i think um are really big as well that, that you know my comfort in i wish more people would have that because i think that holds a lot of people back yeah yeah good point good point for sure um yeah again i've i've i i, I know many people in my life that would benefit a lot from just having just as you say, this this little thing for now, but that might turn into something that um, that really uh, is there for them when they have uh, more time for it. So, um, yeah, for sure, for sure, that's a that's a really good point. Um, yeah, to to wrap things up, I would love for you, Hamish, to uh, share with anybody listening uh, where. You, you could be found or uh, obviously your club if they want to join that would be great and maybe some other uh, thoughts that you had on this yeah well thank you very much for the conversation it's been very good yeah. fun um i'm hamish f-r-o-b hamish rob on twitter and then the watch collectors club is very easy to find because it's simply the watch collectors club you can find us on our website or on social media and everybody is welcome it's currently we don't we're not, we don't have any paid memberships, so everything's free at the moment. Um, and as we grow, we're going to introduce a lot more um, and do a lot of exciting things. And, and the events are all in London at the moment, but we've got our first event outside of London in Birmingham in the UK coming up in September, and hopefully we'll grow from there. Um, and then, and yeah, and I, I'm always happy to chat on Twitter, and I'm an enthusiastic member of the II when I can get to salons, so uh, you can find me around. <laughs> All right, Hamish. Well, thanks again. And uh, yeah, good luck with the club. Sounds amazing. Thank you very much. I look forward to uh, speaking to you again soon.